Hey there, it's Woody just coming on really quick to let you know that Danielle has a new prayer and declaration booklet for free on her website. Download it today at www.iamdaniellejoseph.com. Also, you can find that in the show notes. Go ahead and download it. We look forward to you enjoying it. Welcome to the Infertility Podcast. For the past month, we have been really focused on the journey of walking in infertility. Um, From discussions on mental health, infertility counseling, dealing with PCOS, and taking a look at food and fertility. I have tried my best to curate content that both speaks to those who subscribe to this podcast because we discuss infertility and for those who support others who are on this journey. I wanted to remind all of the listeners that the foundation of the podcast is really um, the foundation of even my ministry and that is seasons. So I'm really focused on providing encouragement and inspiration in different seasons that we face. So with that said, I cannot ignore the current climate of our society and what we're facing in the present moment. And I feel the sense of urgency to address what's going on um, specifically in the United States and really worldwide at this point um, in the sense of the protest against racism. It's also equally important for me to get a perspective of other individuals because I know I am not um, the end all be all and I know that you all love when my husband (laughs) comes on different episodes. And so uh, I invited him for this episode to also be part of the discussion. He's my trusted confidant and I am so happy he has joined us once again. So welcome, Woody. Hey, how's it going out there? I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Um, Y'all seen she kept me away for a while, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm happy to be boss. back on to be boss. able to um to shed some lights and some perspective from my point of view. Yes, great. So um, I don't want to say this is going to be an interview this episode. I think in in this episode is really just a conversation, um, and about really how we're feeling uh, with everything that's going on. So I want Woody, if you could just share. And I'll share after you um, your first experience um, with racism. When is the first time you experienced racism? Um, I think that's a two-part answer for me. Okay. I think there's the first time I truly experienced, and I'm going to say overt racism. Okay. Um, there's the first time I truly experienced overt racism. I think that growing up, being of Haitian descent, there were tons of jokes about Haitians growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't recognize that as overt racism, just 
kids picking on me because I was Haitian. I never aligned that with any form of racism. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in the sixth grade, my parents moved to what we would consider the suburbs. So I moved from a neighborhood that was essentially 89% black, Mm -hmm. about 6% Hispanic. Okay. And about 5% white. Okay. And to, and we moved to a new neighborhood mm-hmm. that was literally about 97% white. Wow. And about 2% black and 1% Hispanic. And moving into that neighborhood, um, I distinctly remember within a 7 to maybe 10 block radius, there was two of us who were black kids. Wow. And... Um, I didn't recognize this as racism, but we were in the sixth grade playing a game called cans. It's where if you don't have a basketball hoop, you crush two soda cans, you place them at your feet at a good distance apart, and you would use a basketball to try to hit the can of the other person that of, that's in front of the other person. Mm-hmm. And we're doing this for about, I want to say a half hour to an hour, and in the sixth grade, I'm assuming I'm about 11, 12 years old at that time. Okay. Not if that, yeah, about 12 years old. And a police officer came up Mm -hmm. and he said to me, us, what are you doing in this neighborhood? And us being kids, we were shocked. We're just like, I, I responded. I live here. Mm -hmm. Uh, My friend Andy lived across the street from us, but I said, I live here. And he said, do you have any ID? Mm-hmm. And I said, I have school ID inside, but I don't have any ID because what 12 years old, 12 year old have a driver's license. Right. And so I was like, what ID would I have? Right. And he said, well, you don't have to worry about that, but you need to bounce the ball lighter. We got a call that you all are bouncing the ball too loud. Mm. I, I, I'm not quite sure how you bounce a ball too, too loud. Right. And it's not one o'clock in the morning. No, it's, you know, middle of the afternoon. Mm-hmm. But more so what when I went into the house and I told my mom this, from that point forward, she told us we were only permitted to play with the basketball in the backyard. Mm. I didn't recognize what had taken place as what it was. But now looking back, I can understand why my mother's reaction was was what it is. Right. Why would someone call the police on, on kids, two kids correct. playing basketball in front of their house? The first time I experienced true apparent racism for myself mm-hmm. was I was a 17-year-old young man working at Hess Gas Station. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you who don't know their uniforms, they wear green shirts and khaki pants. Okay. And I worked the shift from 11 to 7. 11 p.m.? 11, I'm sorry, that was the wrong time. I apologize. Okay. I worked the shift of 3 to 11. 3 to 11, okay. I worked the shift of 3 to 11 three times a week. Okay. Um, And so I was working my shift and I got off work and I was walking home. I lived maybe 15 minutes of a walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember why I was walking. Typically, my father would come pick me up. I did not have a car at the time. Okay. But I was walking home that night. And a police officer with blaring lights came up to me and asked me to stop moving and put my hands up. Okay. I put my hands up 
and he handcuffed me and had me sit on the floor. Mm-hmm. And with the lights blaring, all of the neighbors at 11 p.m. started to come outside their house. And this is literally on the same block of my job. So all these people know who Ooh, I you am. Are. Yes. And he had me sit on the floor with my feet crossed, my hands cuffed, and I sat on the curb. And he picked up his radio and he said, can you repeat the description of the suspect? Mm -hmm. And they said six foot to six foot two black male with dreads, a white t-shirt and blue jeans. Now I know you all don't know specifically (laughs) how I look, right? but I've never had dreads a day in my life. Mm -hmm. I am about five foot eight on a good day with the right shoes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was wearing a green Hess shirt. You were wearing your uniform. And brown pants. Right. And I looked at the officer and he, and he goes into his car. And after about 15 minutes, he comes out, uncuffed me and says, have a good night. No, I'm sorry. I apologize. Got the wrong kid. It's my fault. I heard wrong. None of that. Mm. And... Growing up where I did, although we moved to that neighborhood when I was in the sixth grade, by then I had already developed the culture of you don't really call the police Mm -hmm. unless someone breaks into your house, Mm -hmm. but you don't call them. You don't involve them. You keep it. You try to handle it yourself. So I did not have the wherewithal, the knowledge or the sense to take a badge number and a name. Right. Instead, my only thought was. I need to get home as fast as possible. Now, this is 1997. Kids did not have cell phones like that. If anything, we had a beeper. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it wasn't like... There were still pay phones. There were still pay phones. (laughs) But in that neighborhood, there really wasn't. wasn't. Yeah. Um, And so it wasn't... I could have ran back to my job, but I was too distraught and upset Mm -hmm. um, to say that I would go back to my job to call my father or anyone to come pick me up. Instead... I literally ran that 15 minutes straight home. Um, There was no stopping for air. There was no breathing. I literally ran um, straight home. It was the first time that I recognized what they meant by anything while black. Mm -hmm. Um, I recognized that the only reason I was stopped is because I was a black male. There was no way he identified me as a in in fact the officer was taller than me so even by knowing his height he would know that I was not six foot anything and I didn't I wasn't wearing the clothes didn't ask me for ID didn't ask me for anything and I think that was the first time that I was like this is real this is real and unfortunately it wasn't the last there's Mm -hmm. there's other times when I've experienced it but that was the first and that developed my that cultivated the relationship I would have with police officers mm-hmm. where we can be friendly, we can have a handshake, but yeah. That was it. That was it. Uh, for me, um, for my listeners, you may not know this. I grew up in New York um, and we moved down from New York to Florida um, when I was about nine years old. And so I, my first memory of really dealing with racism was in Florida and not to say that in New York there was no racism I'm just telling you from my memory and my memory is not the greatest but um (laughs) I do remember this uh we moved into a neighborhood 
um, which was pretty diverse. Um, I know you spoke about, you know, moving from a neighborhood with um, a lot of black and brown families um, and then into a predominantly white um, neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But the neighborhood I lived in and my parents still reside there was pretty diverse. It was predominantly brown and um, black families. I would say middle class, you know, individuals who had some sort of, you know, career professionals uh, and that sort of thing. So it was it's a really good neighborhood even until this day. And so um, I recall one time, you know, my siblings, I have two siblings, a younger uh, brother and a younger sister, and we're all three years apart. And so my sister was probably like probably five or something like that. Um so that would make my brother probably eight. And so we were going outside, we were playing, we had our little games and the neighbors, um, their daughters uh, came and they asked, you know, let, you know, let's play together. Let's, you know, put our toys together and play together. And so they had a table um, with like three or four chairs. I think it was like three chairs, four chairs because the two sisters sat down and I remember my, me and my sister sat down and you know we were starting to like play like tea time and i remember the oldest daughter um said because i was i think i was like getting up so my brother can like at least sit down and we'll play you know tea time my poor brother we had to like drag him everywhere we went (laughs) (laughs) two, two girls but um and so i think i was like giving him my seat and the you know little girl said well we can play with you but we can't play with your brother because he's black. And so my sister and I are light skinned um, and my brother is dark skinned. And so when she said that, um, if you know anything about me, like you could say whatever you want to say about me, but you cannot talk about my siblings. You can't talk about my family because I will come for you. So even at that age, I looked (laughs) at her dead in her eyes and I said, if you can't play with him, you can't play with us. And so I grabbed all of the toys that belonged to us. And um, I took my siblings and we went inside and I put the toys down. And they I remember my two siblings were standing in front of me and I said to them, we are never going to play with them. And that was that. And that was that. I am thir- about to be 35 years old. And I can say we never played with them. And um, till this day, you know, growing up, you know, where we would say hi to the parents, we were a little bit off put with the kids. You know what I mean? Right. But what I've found is like racism is a learned behavior. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So um, even though it's the two daughters who spoke up and said what they said, something along the way from their parents or the environment or what have you made them believe, hey, um, you, you know, you shouldn't play with black individuals, okay? And be, maybe they didn't consider me and my sister black because we're uh, a little bit fair skinned, but we're black, okay? So um, from that point on, you know, it was a realization, hey, there is a stark difference. You know, mm-hmm. even, even though that family um, is Hispanic, all right, they attributed something negative to being black. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, and, and I'm not going to get into this conversation in this episode, but a lot of our brown um, families consider themselves white. Because I remember in middle school and high school, the box they were checking was white. Yeah. 
Well, you know, and that kind of leads to the first story that I said that, mm-hmm. you know, there's intercultural racism. Correct, correct. And, and so you you hear our, our brown brothers and sisters, our, our Hispanic brothers and sisters mm-hmm. talk about it frequently yes. that you and know they, there are some that are their brown families and they're racist too within yes and that's and and, and that's what the, that's the point i want to get across really is that it's not a white or black thing it's no. it's racism it's racism yeah itself. and um and, and that's the root cause of what we're talking about is is racism it doesn't matter if you know, you are from a Hispanic heritage or white heritage or what have you. It's that deep-seated um, belief that your race is superior to another race. And it's so sad. Mm-hmm. But it's almost historical. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's asking right now, do you think we can ever end racism? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here like the oldest book that I know of is the Bible. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the Hebrews and the yes. Egyptians, mm-hmm. it is as long mm-hmm. standing as our historical books. Yes. It is so sad that, you know, something as simple as where you're from mm-hmm. or the color of your skin can make somebody desire to feel as though they're superior just based off of that. Right. It's really sad. Um, but one thing that I've realized in the past couple of weeks is that it has forced individuals to have these conversations. Oh, yeah. Um, it has forced companies to uh, put out statements, you know, willingly, forcefully, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, and the companies that have not put out, um, you know, statements, and we'll get into this in a little bit later, um, they're being judged. Oh, yeah. Right? So uh, let's talk a little bit about the workplace. Um And for those of you who don't know, you know, we're still kind of semi-quarantined over here. Um, And our workplace has allowed us to um, work from home um, during the month of March, April, May. And now we're in June. Um, I'm currently on furlough, but that's a separate conversation. And so as I've heard... (laughs) your different meetings, um, <laughs> I can see that your workplace is addressing or, or, or doing their best to have these sort of conversations. Um, how has that been for you? You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough um, to work in higher education, a place of, um, of learning. And the thing is, is that if you don't point it out, the students will for you. Right. <laughs> And you want to get ahead of the and you want to you want to get ahead of these college students because they will definitely call things out. And so, um, you know, it, it's been interesting. I think the hardest piece is you are trying not to create a hostile environment, but you want to address the elephant in the room. Right. And you have coworkers who don't want you to think that they are racist themselves Mm -hmm. but they're almost looking for sometimes for you to 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 support them in a time where you need the supporting right the acts against you the act the thoughts are being shown in your direction you know when a when a black man is killed i see the possibility of me being killed right and so i'm not in a position to say well you're okay i'm okay with you in that moment i need somebody to tell me hey it's gonna be okay for me and so it's been challenging but it's 
I like the uncomfortable conversation mm-hmm. because then we can address the elephant th- in the room. You thrive on those type of conversations. Listen, I don't run from confrontation. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and address it and grow from it and, yes. and see what we can develop from here. Yes, definitely. So I, I definitely appreciate the fact that they are um, uh, taking the stance and, and hosting conversations where, you know, some of my friends and some of my colleagues, you know, we're struggling because those conversations are not um, taking place. So um, in that same regard, some celebrities have also received some backlash for not speaking up, okay? Um, And I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on some of the celebrities not speaking up, especially those who you know, are African-American? Um, I don't, I don't know that I, I need the African-American ones to speak up mm. because, uh, you know, you don't know what they're going through internally. You know, a lot of people pick on different stars for not doing or saying, or, and one person who's always gotten a lot of backlash about some things is Michael Jordan, and he recently donated, I believe they said it was quite a substantial amount of money, but he did it, and I don't think he did it publicly, it just came out publicly. Right. Uh, Everybody deals with this type of stuff their own way when it comes to the minority community. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it says different when a company won't make a business stance. Correct. Um, I think, you know, that... you. If you can't accept the client, don't mm-hmm. accept the client's dollars. Mm. And if you're not willing to say that we are a company who support all people of all background, of all races, and of all cultures, mm-hmm. and yes, being able to say, and to us, the Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. then go ahead and market. Don't include the culture in your marketing. Right. Because a lot of them include the culture the music, yes. the style. They want the dollars, mm-hmm. but they don't want the people. Mm. And, and so for me, you are you have a hypocrit- hypocritical company, mm-hmm. which I personally don't want to, to abide with. Yeah. And so um, for me, I look at that. Um, I look at, at somebody who does photography. I look at the different ven- venues that I've shot in mm-hmm. and the companies or, or the, the different companies that I've associated with. And where do you stand on this? Correct. What are you saying on this? Because um, you are who your closest friends are. Mm-hmm. You are also who you represent. And mm-hmm. if I'm wearing a clothing brand, if I'm shopping a certain place, if I'm doing a certain thing, people are going to assume that's the type of people I associate with. Mm-hmm. And if you don't associate with me, I'm... I'm okay. There's enough out there that we don't have to associate. Correct. Um, yeah, because it was kind of on the news that some high-profile minority um, celebrities have not issued a statement and have not said anything. But like you said, you know, Michael Jordan donated funds. And one thing, like, I've learned really through this pandemic, and now it kind of translates even to what's going on now, is um, you need to do your best. You know what I mean? Like, if you're the type of person that you cannot be out in the front line protesting, but you are in the background sending emails when you see people who are, you know, putting things out there that are racist and you're letting their their employer know, hey, 
this is what I read, this is what I saw on Facebook. If that's your sense of activism, then great. Um, if you are a person that, you know, this is very overwhelming for you, you need to, you know, not watch the news. You need to just be in your prayer closet. Like, do what is best for you. I will say, though, um, we have to understand that our platforms have power. Absolutely. Okay. And so... Um, when I just remember something recently that happened, um, in net, on Netflix, there's an episode on that was on Netflix that said like basically AIDS came from Haiti, and you see all of these um high higher profile like Instagram influencers that were Haitian they rallied together, and you know either contacted um Netflix directly those who had connections with with Netflix. Um, they made posts and they tagged Netflix and, you know, this was drawing a lot of attention to the point where the episode was removed. Episode nine is gone. Okay. So <laughs> I think that, um, you know, we need to understand that we have an audience, even if it's an audience of one. Right. So even if it's having those kind of crucial conversations with, you know, a white coworker or um, having, if you're white and having that conversation with your child and saying, Hey, you know, no race is, is greater than another race. You know what I mean? Starting from home, I think that that is very impactful because you don't know what that one person will end up doing. Right. And bringing to the table. Right. You know? I mean, it, it only takes one person to create a horrible memory, mm-hmm. but it also only takes one person to create a, a, a feeling of support. Right. Definitely. And, and that leads to my um, next kind of point and discussion is that we've seen the term ally be be thrown um, out, you know, during this time. And um, for those who don't know what ally is, it's it's formally cooperating with another for military or another purpose is to combine or unite a resource or commodity with another for mutual benefit. And so one of the things I think a lot of us, including myself, that you know i'm struggling with is i don't feel that i have many allies um that are not my skin color Mm. okay so i know where i have support um and i think that's one of the most challenging things is that um you know individuals who do not have my skin color i don't know if i can consider them an ally Okay, and so sometimes um, I think I was having this conversation with you earlier this week is you just have to know what categories to put people in. Absolutely. You know, and and um, when you know how to categorize people, I know you were like, what you put such and such in a category. Yeah, you got to learn how to categorize people because then you'll know how to move. You got to move different now. You know what I mean? I'm going to move different. I'm going to speak different. Um, And I think that. A lot of individuals are blessed to have um, allies. And I think, you know, when I used to hear hear the term ally, it was really attributed to the LGBTQ um, community. It was Mm -hmm. attributed to it really. That's really the only time I've heard that term really be used. And I think as Christians, we can still be allies with the LGBTQ community. We may not agree with their um lifestyle and their choices however i am strongly against any um thing that will demean them as a human being 
Like, you're not going to sit here and someone is sitting next to me and they are homosexual and you're going to disrespect them. Absolutely no, not. You're not, It's not going to happen in front of me because I'm going to put you in your place. So I think that there is a sense of humanity that is lacking, all right? Because as a Christian person, if I can say that I am an ally for a community that we do not hold the same beliefs, right? So what is the what is the issue between a Caucasian person and an African-American person? Why can't the Caucasian person be an ally? That means we, you don't even see us on the equal on the basic, basic, on the basic on a foundational basic level. level. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that gets to me. Well, you know, I I think when we talked about it earlier and we were joking around and talking about the categories, you know, I, I messed with you a little bit, but I think that it's very true. Because truthfully for me, mm-hmm. I don't want people faking. Right. If you do not like me because <laughs> I am a black man, I want to know. I want to know for what... I want to know what it is and why so I know how to deal with you. Right. Because I don't want you to have to... I don't I don't like fakeness. Right. It's really hard for me to be fake, mm-hmm. so everything shows fake. on my face. Yes. So I don't want you to force it either. So if you don't like me, we can work on a business level right. and separate. We can work on a work level and separate. We don't have to right. smile and make small talk. And so... I appreciate some of those people not making statements. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, everybody doesn't need to make a blaring statement. Understand that. My white brothers and sisters who are listening, mm-hmm. you don't have to make a blaring statement. One of the best conversations I had was from a former supervisor mm-hmm. who never posts on Instagram, never posts on Facebook, never posts on Twitter. She texts me and said, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're well. Mm-hmm. I know this is a tough season. Know that I care. Ask me if I got a text like that in the past two weeks. a white older woman who I have not physically seen in over five years was okay texting me a message like that Mm -hmm. to me that's more of an ally yes than the millions of posts that I saw on Facebook right because the post can be fake but she didn't have to reach out correct and so that's where you show your support and to be honest with you this is my personal sense (laughs) I want to clarify that. I know a lot of people may disagree, but as a Christian, I show love, mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. to everyone, mm-hmm. no matter what their race, mm-hmm. religion, belief, sexual orientation, any of that. I will protect and defend everybody mm-hmm. because that, that's what I do for those that I love mm-hmm. and I'm called to love. Mm-hmm. And if you can't show love, the basic foundational of love, which is just pure showing humanity towards me, Mm -hmm. we don't need to get on that relationship. We don't need, look, I am good with the bare minimum relationship. Good morning. Good afternoon. What can I do for you? And that's something that I've really, I was in corporate for six years. Um, I think it was over six years and you learn how to be cordial. You learn how to put people in certain categories. You learn how you have to show up in, in the room, you know? And one thing I really had to come to grips with is like, I don't want to be who I'm not. Like everyone who knows me, you know me. Mm-hmm. Like in work, out of work, what have you. Um, because I'm not gonna show face. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna just be me. Who you and, are. And I will be respectful. I know when, you know, when to speak up, how to speak up in a corporate environment and in, in whatever environment. 
Um, but I think that that struggle of um, individuals being in the workplace and having to go through this season right now is very difficult. I spoke to someone um, that used to be a colleague of mine in the corporate environment and we were, you know, chatting it up. And he stated that one thing that he's, you know, happy about is the fact that, you know, we're not in the office right now. Everyone is home. Um, everyone's working remote. And so it gives you that opportunity to just like decompress, deal with your emotions and not have to show up and have a smile on your face and be okay with what's going on because we're not okay with it. You know, I, I had a conversation with somebody recently, actually an executive at my institution who was like, how are we showing up to work? And I'm like, unfortunately, this isn't the first incident. Exactly. And we are almost used to putting on a mask, mm. crying in corners when we need to, finding the people we can cry with. But we put on a mask, we smile in these meetings, we do our work, and we show up. I don't know how. And it's almost cultural. Yeah. I, I You know, in, in Creole, they say, um, tie your belt. Mm -hmm. In America, we say, we say, pull up your bootstraps. Yes. It's what, girl this is what we know how to do in these situations mm -hmm. because my first incident that I could vividly remember, mm -hmm. I was 12. Mm -hmm. I would not be able to be here if I was not able to bypass that and be able to do it. And it's sad because those are, I'm able to speak about it, There's but there's people who have that hurt and that anger who have not. And listen, if you're listening counseling is important oh yes we it say is. it often on here but counseling is important but there's people who have not been able to get over those things Correct. to look past those things to be able to move on but for many of us we put on our mask right we go to work and when we get home we find our communities and that's where we we dwell in right um, so in an upcoming episode, I'm really going to delve into, um, infertility and minority couples. Um, but I wanted to get your input on, um, you know, a term that we've commonly seen and in, in that systematic racism. Okay. So this is, um, instit institutionalized racism. So you see racism in different forms and different aspects. So, um, wealth gap. So dealing with salary negotiations, being in a um, position and your white counterpart is making way more money than you, but you have maybe a higher level of education, more experience and that sort of thing. Um, we see that, of course, in places of employment, uh, housing, government, uh, incarceration, um, drug arrests, immigrant uh, arrests. Uh, and like I said, we're going to talk about it even um, further as it relates to fertility and even the infant mortality rate among minorities is way higher so in regards to um this form of racism uh woody what are some ways that you have seen it happen um i mean there's lots of ways I, just talking about the justice system mm -hmm. and you know there being so many incarcerated minorities right and people are often like oh well look how many of them are incarcerated but if we are stopped four times more mm -hmm. and or the neighborhood uh, is policed more and the neighborhood is policed more mm -hmm. and if you are assumed to have committed a crime even if you're not mm -hmm then of course there's going to be more of you in the prison system. Mm -hmm. If we equally policed, if we equal, equally treated, then I think they were, the numbers would balance overwhelmingly. Right. Um, I think that 
you know, I found myself negotiating Uh (laughs) for salaries and there's almost a tone. And and to be honest with you, there's been positions that I was like, the, the, the pay won't equate to the talent that I'm bringing. Yeah. And you have to know your worth because I've been in that negotiating um, part of the the deal where there's almost a tone of, you should be happy. We're offering Mm -hmm. you this. No, you should be happy. I'm even sitting here having this conversation with you is more like it because you're wanting to hire me. And so it comes a point where you need to know your worth, know your skills, know your talent. And I rather say no, because if they are already disrespecting you at the salary, Mm -hmm. there's no telling what the work environment is going to be. Preach. And so, um, and I know that as that's as a male that I'm, I'm going up against my, my white counter males, mm-hmm. but we already know our white women make less than black men yes. and our black women make less than them. Yes. And our Hispanic women are right there with them. And I'm yes. so, I'm like, women you know, have it rough. It's just the marginalization <laughs> just happens over yeah, and yeah, over yeah, yeah, and yeah. over. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop until you have somebody in another area who will speak up for you. Mm-hmm. When the men speak up for equal pay for the women, mm. that's when you'll see the equality come. I agree. And it, it's it's not, you know, it's not enough just to recognize and empathize, but you need to fight for. Right. And I do want our women to get paid just as much as us men. Okay. Some rock stars out there. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So um, based on what we've seen in the past couple of weeks, what do you think can be done on an individual level? Um, on an individual level, mm-hmm. I think uh, what needs to happen is no matter the household, mm-hmm. the jokes have to stop. Whoop. And that is in a fair-skinned black household, the dark-skinned jokes need to stop. Yikes. In the fair-skinned Hispanic household, household the dark skin jokes have to stop mm-hmm. in the white household the black jokes need to stop right in the black household the white jokes need to stop right and it needs to be that you are able to make people uncomfortable because oftentimes when those jokes are made we feel uncomfortable when we do the <laughs> yes. uncomfortable laugh no if you're gonna make me uncomfortable with your joke i'm gonna make you uncomfortable about saying it that's yeah. not funny especially in front of me are you like did you really just say that out loud and mm-hmm. think that it was look at your life look at your choices right i think that conversation is is really difficult for some um because of the the you know parent child relationship mm-hmm. possibly especially um, grandparents yes especially grandparents and if you look at the um our current society you have a generation who was present when slavery was still present. Yeah. And so you're asking a younger generation to check an older generation. Um, and that can be uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Um, but I do feel that on an individual um, basis, we can challenge each other uh, in the way that we think. Because, you know, just because I was brought up a way to think doesn't mean it's the best way to think, you know, and having, again, those crucial conversations, it starts at home. Yeah. You know, it starts at home with your child. It starts at home with your husband. It starts at home with your parents. And um, and, and when you're talking to your parents and your grandparents, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I tell my students, you can't 
don't think that you can talk to your grandparents any kind of way just because they're saying something that you don't like. Right. You still need to be respectful and mindful, especially in some of the household where grandma still sees you as a 12 year old. Right. Um, You're like 45. (laughs) So you need to, there's a way to be respectful while saying that's not okay anymore. Right. Like, like grams that that's not, that's not, not that's not cool. Mm -hmm. You're better than that. Tell Mm -hmm. them, tell them they're better than that. Mm -hmm. And it, because they're coming from a time where all of that was okay to say, or where they were the victims of those situations. And Mm -hmm. it's truly how they feel because of the way they were raised. Mm -hmm. But it takes us to say like, we have to do better. We have to be better. We have to grow better. And, and being able to have those conversations. Love it. Um, okay. So last question in closing, what would you love to see in the next few years? Um, in regards to racism and, and you can speak to it in a sense of short term, long term, what would you like to see um, in regards to this topic? You know, I don't know that racism in America is going to go away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I don't think that people change that fast mm-hmm. as much as we've changed as a society. Clearly, we not we have not changed as individual people. Mm-hmm. Um Racism is still alive and well. So maybe I'll be, maybe I'll get to see grandchildren before um, this really changes. But what I will say is that there's things we can do in society now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we're looking for the big changes that we were once looking for in the 60s. I think the big changes um, to some degree have gotten there, but we need to do some of the local changes. Mm-hmm. I think that a, a lot of people vote for president, but forget to vote for mayor. Yeah. But your mayor is who holds the local DA and the local sheriff accountable. Mm-hmm. So if we vote for our local mayor and our local sheriff, our police departments and our law departments will have shift. We need judges on our seats. So we mm-hmm. need to push our children towards understanding how they can impact change. Yes. If we have more lawyers, more judges, and not just defenders but prosecutors Mm -hmm. people who will hold everyone equally accountable Mm -hmm. we're not asking for less accountability we're Mm -hmm. asking for equal accountability and so if we can get the lawyers the da's office the sheriff's office the mayor to be people who look for this type of positive change Mm -hmm. then when somebody like the the officer who had 18 cases of misconduct mm-hmm. before he killed George Floyd should have never even been, if he anything, been he should have been on death duty. Yeah. If anything, he should have been on death duty, but we needed a, sh- a sheriff or, or a chief Someone to who, who would have held him accountable mm-hmm. and not given him a slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take us voting the right people, positioning mm-hmm. the right people, mm-hmm. educating the right people, supporting the right people, into those positions to make change. We need to support our own communities, yes, but globally, we need to make local changes that will better our entire community. Essentially, we can't change people, but we can change the system. We've been put in that position, thankfully, to the people who came before us, Mm -hmm. that we can change some of these systems. Great. I, I love, love, love that answer, you know? And I think that, like you said, we're just focused on voting for the next president. Um, and I do feel that, uh, you know, the current climate is conducive to, uh, our current president and him not taking a stance on certain things. Uh, and so it is important to, to, of course, vote, um, 
for you know a presidential candidate. However, like you said, the the real impact is on the local level. That's what we feel. Well, I mean, we 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 had our chance with our Obama. And not saying that we won't have another chance, but we had our Obama and we recognized because we didn't have the local, the state, yes. the Senate, the House who this. would support some of the things that he wanted, just having a head. I mean, if you have a strong head with a diseased body, you right. can't do anything with that. Mm-hmm. It has to be through and through the right people across the board. And mm-hmm. and so I, I think, you know, we, we have to get some of these people in places. And, and sadly, we see, although our current president's ratings have dropped, they haven't dropped to the point where he's out of the running. Right. No, definitely. And that just tells us that work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. There's work to be done. Yeah. And, and I love the fact that you said, you know, encouraging our youth, encouraging our children to be in strategic roles and strategic um, careers uh, that can help the community um, and really be the voice, you know, be the voice in those rooms that we may not ever walk into, but they can be the voice for us and advocate for us. I think that's the main thing is Mm -hmm. um, having um, people in place that can advocate for uh, the community. Right. We're not even necessarily saying people who look like us. I think we, you and I, believe that there's people who we love of all race backgrounds Definitely. and cultures mm-hmm. is just we need those type of people who support all people to be the ones who are in these positions. Correct. So Woody, once again, thank you for um, being on this episode of the podcast. I know it. you enjoy coming on and I know my listeners love having you on as well y'all y'all get that sense of jealousy over there it's okay it's okay we are one if they love me they love you whatever anyways (laughs) so um thank you for being on and also you know thank you for everyone for tuning in to this episode um again really we just want to open the conversation to um what's going on in the in the community and the climate right now in our uh, and and for real, it's not even just the U.S. It's no. like all over the and world. Thank you for the support all over the yes. world. We see you. Yes. We hear you. Yes. We thank you yes. all over the world. Yes, because I have listeners from um, different continents. And so I, I um, really wanted to take the time to just open up this conversation. Uh, I can't say this will be the final conversation, um, but we just wanted to take the time to talk about this, to give us, give you our perspective, give you our experience. Um, and so hopefully it will give you a different vantage point of what's going on. So again, thank you for tuning in and until next time, ciao. Oh, and, uh, for you listeners out there. Be sure to tell Danielle happy birthday. This Saturday is her birthday. Happy birthday. I didn't want to end the podcast Thanks, like that. Happy <laughs> birthday. Um, and it's a year of the podcast. And it's a year of the podcast. What a celebration yes. to all the listeners who's been out there supporting Danielle's ministry, the, um, supporting each other, listening in. For those who are on the journey, for those who support others who are going through the journey, um, from my heart, You know, I want to say thank you to Danielle for pouring out your heart out there for this year. I want to thank you all for listening and the continued support everywhere from all the different continents here in the United States. Um, I appreciate you. I know they appreciate you. Happy birthday for you and happy birthday to your podcast. Um, I love you. I love you, too. Thanks, babe. You're so sweet. (laughs)
so again, um, thank you for tuning in. If you are not following me on social media, please do so because I have been doing a hope challenge um, this week and have received a lot of great feedback um, in regards to the challenge. And it looks like it's something that I kind of kind of have to continue on in um, implementing throughout the year. So um, check it out. It's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. Um, be sure to DM me. Send me a message. I would love to hear from you. And again, thank you for tuning in. This is the final <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Bye, friends. Bye, y'all. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Infertility Podcast. Be sure to connect with me via social media. You can find me on Instagram at I am Danielle Joseph, or on Facebook, Master Mentor and Minister, or you can visit my website, which is www.iamdaniellejoseph.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.